the Sunday Sermons Podcast. I'm going to start with a short story about me growing up in New Guinea. It's interesting that, that uh, Jason mentioned that earlier. But uh, my, one of my favorite things that we got to do over there was go scuba diving. It's absolutely beautiful all the time. But one time, my dad and I went scuba diving in a really dark, nasty river to do some recovery stuff. It's a long story. I'm going to cut it short. If you ever want to hear the whole thing, come and get me. But since it was zero visibility, it was high stress or a bunch of stuff, toward the end, uh, we thought we were done and we found one more piece. And I had already taken my mask off. But my dad showed me where it was. And I was like, you know what? What do I need a mask for when it's zero visibility? I'm just going to go down without it. The mask can't be essential to this situation. Well, I almost drowned. Because one of the main things that a mask does is it pinches your nose. So that when you breathe, you're only breathing through that regulator thing. So I get down there. I start working hard, tying ropes, messing around, fighting the current of the river. It was a bad, bad day. I'm thankful to still be here. Because the mask was essential and I just didn't know about it. Are you following me? We're going to go back uh, to the idea of water real quick, and we're going to keep on going. We're going to kind of fast forward through some of the things we're we're doing, uh, we've been going through. But I love the idea of water and how it symbolizes um, God in so many ways. You, You get two things of H, one thing of O, if you're counting, that's three. They get together, they stay together, and they have properties that no other thing has. They're properties that are essential for life. Somebody told me uh, after the first time I shared that several weeks ago that not only does, does water do all the stuff we've already talked about, but it also, when it freezes, it can form seven different kinds of crystals. It's the only thing in our universe that can do that. Seven happens to be one of the other holy numbers throughout the Bible. I don't think that's a coincidence. And every one of those kinds of ice crystals are essential for life. It all points back to God in one way or another. But this idea of three, the idea, the symbol of three, the literal threes, the symbolic threes, all of them that are both throughout the scripture and in creation, they all point back to God. They, they point back in one, one way or another because we are made in his image. And we only thrive when we live in humility and in courage and with clear intention within the three circles that he's created us to live in. And they only work when they're connected. And so many times we forget all of that. We, we try to isolate those circles. So one more time, let's walk back through that and just remember together that growth only happens when we interact with someone else. First of all, God, and most importantly, God. And that is why the Holy Spirit is always going to be giving us uh, the, the encouragement and the ability to move toward God. There's got to be this eternal, always happening ongoing, relentless movement of our hearts and our souls to God. And it's, it's when we interact with God that we grow. It's when we actually connect with him, not just when we talk about him or think about him or believe about him. It's when we connect with him. And the same thing with others. There has to constantly be this relentless movement toward others. We've got to be connecting deeper with those who are part of our families and also with others outside of our family, inviting them into the family. That has to be relentless. And for some reason, this is one of the biggest mistakes, most common mistakes that Christians around the world keep making. We keep separating those three circles. 
We think it's going to be more peaceful. It's going to be better. There'll be less conflict. Maybe I'll be able to grow. At least maybe I'll be able to sleep at night. If I kind of keep God at a distance and keep everybody else at a distance, at least I, I can get along with myself. But that's not how it works. We're not designed for that. That's not how it works. And, and we're always separated when we realize that. But we see Jesus modeling this kind of movement kind of love to us. We see him commanding it and modeling it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We're, we're not called to unite against the world. We're, unite, we're called to unite with God to call the world into that three-circle relationship with him. We absolutely cannot make the mistake that we think that God's dream for us is to be so separate that we don't interact with the world at all. God's dream is that we are so united with him that we share his passion to bring the world into that circle constantly. It's a huge difference. Back in the day, there was a man named Alexander Campbell who was passionate about unity. Uh, you, we don't talk about him a whole lot because our church owes a lot to him and some of his ideas, but it, it, he, even he was more, I, more excited about the ideas. He didn't want anybody to ever really talk about him that much. But here are the two big ideas that, especially if you're new to our church, uh, this is, this, this, you need to know this about us. And, and if you're here for a long time, you should remember this. These are two things that we really believe of how we approach God and how we approach Scripture and how we approach others. One is that scripture is always going to be on a higher level than any tradition ever. Even our own traditions, even our favorite traditions, scripture itself, wherever the Bible is absolutely clear, we don't argue with that. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how, how our grandma did it and how our grandpa taught us to do it. It, it matters that this, when we see something in the Bible I'm sorry, we've got to trust God that he knows what he's doing, even if we don't like it. That's, that's a core value. And we find unity in that. We, we find unity in that because we're never going to agree 100%. We're never going to agree 100% on just about anything. But if we can agree on that, we can unite and reach the world together anyway. And that's God's dream. The second huge idea that Alexander Campbell had that he gave us and said, here's how to build the church better is simply that what I just said, we find our unity in living out what we see in the scripture. That's where we base our unity, not in trying to get everybody to agree on a certain doctrinal statement or creed that we recite together. But we're going to do at any given moment, we're going to do our very best to actually do what we do understand. And if along the way we measure it against scripture and we go, wow, we were wrong about something, we're going to fix it because scripture beats everything. And our, what we're unified in is we're trying our best to do it God's way. And that's still our dream. And that's always got to be the dream. 
That's, that's why some of the things that we do here look a little different, like communion every single Sunday or talking about baptism more than some churches do. It's not that we're trying to, to have a whole other thing or judge anybody else. We just see those things very clearly in Scripture, and so we say, yes, sir. That's it. That's the whole thing. In his magazine, The Millennial Harbinger, Campbell used to recruit and publish authors who he really disagreed with about how they interpreted the Scripture. It was his own magazine. And the reason was because he, all of those people agreed with him on this thing I just said. They, they agreed, we're going to look at the Scripture and do our best to interpret it. They got a different interpretation. He was like, that's okay. I'll put you in my magazine anyway. I want to be stretched. I'm always looking to make sure that I'm getting it right. And if I'm not, maybe somebody will help me. Here's the three things he always said. And if you don't already have it out, if you would, at least today, get out your sermon outline. There's four lines in orange. This is what, one of his mottos. It's still one of our mottos. We don't say a lot because it's not a creed. It's just a way to look at life. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Would you say that out loud with me? You can just read it right off the page. It's not on the screen. It's up here. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. And here's, here's the problem. How do we know which things are the essential things? See, most of the time when somebody starts talking about that and they say, so what is essential for salvation? What they're really trying to say is, what is the bare minimum that I could do and still make it into heaven when I die? that is a dumb conversation. I'm just going to be straight up. I don't care how theological and how well-read you are and what theologian is your favorite and how they make their case for or against baptism or any other, other, other things that people fight about. Are you serious right now? The only thing that's absolutely essential for salvation is Jesus Christ and his blood and his death and his resurrection. And if we agree on that, we agree that he's the boss, then anything Jesus said is essential. Are you with me? That's all there is to it. Why do we fight about it? If Jesus said every single Sunday morning, get up and run three laps around your home, wouldn't we do that? Yeah. Not because we understand it or like it, because Jesus said it. So if Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded and I will be with you always to the end of the age. Do we have the right to scratch any of those off the list? No. Not because we're fighting over who gets to go to heaven when they die. We're saying Jesus is the boss. Whether we understand it or like it or not, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. And that if we can keep finding our unity on that, that is essential. That is what we say is essential here. And we find unity with anybody else, even if we disagree with how they interpret certain verses, even if we disagree with how they do certain things, if they can join us in that, we're, we're on the same team. Let's go. Is this making sense? You guys connecting on this? 
This is how this has to happen. So church happens when all three of these circles merge. When there's movement, constant movement from us into God, into the fellowship with him and into his will and knowing him and understanding his rules and constant movement into the world and into deeper relationships with each other and constantly trying to help the world get closer to God. And when all of that is happening, that little white triangle in the middle, that's the church. And when all those keep merging closer together, that little rounded triangle grows. That's how the church grows. The real church. So as we keep going here, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up in about 20 more minutes. Are you good? I, I know we're just a little bit behind, but are, are we good? Can we do this? I promise we'll stay on schedule. We're going to go through this. Here we go. In essentials, unity. Can we say that together? In essentials, unity. And we just established what that is. Well, let me tell you something. One of the things that Jesus makes explicitly clear, there's no doubt. I'll be honest. There are a lot of things in the Bible I wish he was clearer about. There are a lot of things that I'm like, eh, yeah, I see how you get that. I don't get that, but okay. But some of the things that he's completely clear about are the things we're talking about today. We've got to choose unity and we've got to relentlessly reach out. Those are essential. Now, if, 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 I'm not gonna, we're not talking about whether you go to heaven when you die. We're talking about is Jesus the Lord or not? Are you with me? Amen. So it's essential that we reach out. We're missing the whole gospel if we try to separate how we love from how we worship. If we separate how we love from what we believe, we can't. All three of those have to go together, just like every single one of these other threes. John writes, see how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Notice, he doesn't say because they are idiots. Because they're wrong. Because they're evil. Because they're... Republicans, because they're Democrats, because they're foreigners, because they're Americans. Are you with me on this? They don't know him. There's no hate there. There's no judgment there. These people could know him, and if they did, they might follow him along with us. That's the hope. He says, and this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That's us. That's this, this group. Just as he commanded us. And those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because of the spirit he gives us lives in us. Right? Amen. And where's the spirit always going to be leading us? We've been over this for several times in a row here. Where's he leading us? Closer to God, closer to others. He's going to be leading us out. He's going to be leading us to interact with God and interact with others, get deeper with those who are part of the you circle and to collectively with God move out into other circles and try to bring them in. That is essential. John 13, 34 and 35 is the words of Jesus. I hope you have this memorized or at least it's very familiar. So now Jesus says, I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples.
your love for one another. Is that essential? You bet it is. Several months ago, a while back, I actually dressed up like Mr. Rogers. Anybody remember that? We kind of talked about the whole thing as a neighborhood. I only, throw, I only bring that up one more time just to remind you of two things. Our neighborhood is the whole circle. Are you with me? If we try to make our neighborhood just be the circle that's us and our family and our church, we're missing something. Our, our neighborhood is not just us. It's everybody, God and us and everybody we're reaching out to. I also love this quote. I used it last week. I want to remind you because I want it to stick. He says, you rarely have time for everything you want in this life. So you need to make choices. And hopefully your choices can come from a deep sense of who you are. And who are we? We're the followers of Jesus. That's it. That's where the choices have to come from. And if the choices we're making tell a different story, something is dead wrong. Because if we're followers of Jesus, it's essential that we follow what Jesus says. One of the ways that he always wants us to follow reach out to constantly be bringing more people to Jesus is to do that in our own families and in our own growth groups and in whatever little groups of people that you're with that you're discipling. But for those of you who are parents especially, I'd like to recommend several books that we just got in the church. I've got them in my personal library. I'll loan them to anybody by Dr. Scott Taransky and Joanne Miller. And one of the things that they said in there is behavior modification appeals to children's innate selfishness. This approach of do what I say and I'll let you have what I want often misses the heart altogether and actually teaches them image management. How many here want your kid to grow up to be a hypocrite? (gasps) (laughs) Nobody, right? We don't want them to be faking it. We don't want to teach them how to play by the rules just enough that you can get by in life. We want them to care about it. We want them to actually do the right thing. We don't want them to just be doing things when somebody's looking. We want them to actually know it. How do you get there? By changing your heart. Who's famous for doing that? Transforming us from the inside out. Who does that? Jesus. That's, what, that's how he does it. It's not about behavior modification. He does that. But how do you transform the heart? By daily submitting to Jesus. By filling your heart with it. Again, we looked at these last week. It's worth going back over again. Deuteronomy 4.9. Watch out. Be careful never to forget what you yourselves have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, all day long. Every day, all the time, everywhere. And when we do it, when we live it this way, when we live it relentlessly, when we realize that passing that torch on is essential, that it's bigger than everything else, no matter how good or bad those other other things may be, that's when it works. 
Dr. Taransky and uh, Mrs. Miller again. The reality is that God does miracles in people's lives every day. It's never too late. Don't let anyone, including your children, convince you otherwise. There's hope. There's still hope. Well, let's keep going. Uh, Paul celebrates this hope in Romans 8.14. He says, for all who led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And if we follow the Spirit's leading, we're going to constantly be interacting not only with our own children, our own church people, but also people outside of that circle. And somehow or another, there is always hope that we can actually connect and reconnect as needed. So the first thing was, in essentials, unity it's essential we've talked about this it's essential that we keep reaching out is everybody with me so far Amen. there's a couple there's two more we're going to go faster through these but but they're so important second one is you can read it with me in non-essentials liberty Here, here's what the non-essentials are they're the things that aren't a hundred percent explicit in scripture there are a lot of really good things to do, really great strategies, really, really great ways to see certain ideas in the Bible or apply certain things that Jesus said that I love. There's others I don't really love that much. We're not going to fight over those things because there, if there's anything that we get to where we are because Jesus said this and God said this and Isaiah said this and Moses said this and somebody else said this and uh, Dr. King said this and... So I think this, awesome, good for you. We're not going to fight over that one. I'm, only, I'm, only, I'm not going to fight you over anything, but here's what I'm going to always call as essential is something that's explicitly clear in Scripture. Does that make sense? The non-essentials, it's not that they're not important. It's they're not 100% clear in Scripture. Here's what I believe. It's a non-essential because I don't have a verse for it. But I believe this with all my heart. I believe God left some of the things vague so that we have to keep interacting with him and with others. I think some of the reason he didn't explain every single thing is because we have to keep asking him and pouring over his word again and getting other people to do that with us. Part of the reason he doesn't explain how to get some of the things he wants done done is so that we have to keep interacting with others and teaming up to get it done. He designed us to learn and grow in that space where he and others and us inter, interact and overlap. And that's just how it has to be. And you know what that takes a lot of? The fruit of the Spirit. Does that sound familiar? Patience, peace, and joy. It, it, we have to have his Spirit to get this done. Peter writes, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. If people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. This is another one we've come back to several times. Today I want to highlight the phrase in the middle, keep your conscience clear. In this context, what he's really talking about is, is of course it means keep your conscience clear. Okay, let me explain that. It, it, he's not saying that it's okay if you sin. That's not what I mean by this. But in context, what he's emphasizing here is keep your conscience clear about how you reach out to people. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? He's talking about how you reach out to people. You must worship Christ as Lord. And if anyone asks for your hope, to, I'm sorry, about your hope as a believer, be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. 
We've got to keep our conscience clear, period. But what he's talking about is make sure that you're presenting it in a gentle and respectful way. Then they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because of Christ. Romans 13, 7. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. Give respect and honor to those who are in authority. It's hard. It's hard to bring this one up. But I do think it's worth reminding that one of the things that's absolutely essential, that's totally clear in Scripture, is that our go-to attitude toward authority, whether we agree with them or not, whether they're just authorities or not, is respect and honor. And in the Bible, you see, uh, sometimes you see some exceptions. You see people stand up. Daniel went to the lion's den rather than compromise. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went to the fiery furnace rather than compromise. Are you with me? Don't, don't miss, though. I don't know why. I'm just throwing this out. Daniel wasn't with them in the fiery furnace. I'm not sure what Daniel was. Maybe he didn't think that what they were standing up was essential. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's what I believe, but I don't know where he was. And I don't know where they were. Why didn't they go to a, the lion's den with Daniel? Here's what I know. When Daniel knew, it was, I would rather die than do this thing he's telling me to do because that would violate my relationship with God. He was willing to die. And when they felt that way, maybe Daniel was on a trip. I think that's the most likely thing. He was, a, he was a, well, he worked for the government. He was probably on a trip. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. They said, they looked the king in the eye and said, we know God could rescue us. We're not sure he will. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to follow you. We're going to choose God. So we have precedent in Scripture, not just these, but those are precedents. We have precedent that when necessary, yes, you should follow your convictions and stand up. But let's not forget that our go-to posture, what we should be known for primarily, is not the people who are constantly criticizing those in authority and hating them and rallying people against them, but the people who respect them as much as possible. And I say that because that's hard. That's hard for me. It's hard for every single one of you, I guarantee. We've just got to remember that because it's pretty clear in the scripture. I love how Jesus said that we should be like children. I love that he interacted with children the way he did. One of the things I think he meant by that was simply this. Children don't even have a choice. They're constantly learning. They're constantly submitting. They're constantly interacting with the world. They don't, we tell them, you have to go to church. You have to go to school. You have to be on this ball team. They, they just have to. But that's how Jesus wants us to be too. This is part of how we live. And here's the last thing. In all things love. Would you say that out loud with me? In all things love. It's absolutely essential that we follow Christ's example in the world and that we love as he loved. And that includes constantly making new disciples. Jesus did this by example. He literally gave his life so that we could have this opportunity. Hebrews 2.14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had power of death. 
Hebrews 12 is an amazing chapter. Again, I refer you to this. This is a Bible study. This is not just a little outline or something so you know when I'm about to be done. I, I hope and pray that you take this home and that you study these in whatever version you prefer and you listen to the Holy Spirit unpack this in ways that I cannot. That you take this to your growth groups. You do whatever it takes for you to actually hear from God. But Hebrews 12 is in there, the whole chapter. It's so good. There's so much goodness. Here's two, three more verses from it. It says, No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Please notice just a couple things here with me. First of all, the discipline he's talking about, discipline always includes when necessary some sort of punishment for bad behavior. But the core idea here that he's talking about is not that. He's not talking about punishment as much as he's talking about the discipline of doing the right things over and over again. The discipline of practicing what you preach. The discipline of putting into action what you understand at any given moment. You live it. You get it done. And if you're wrong, you fix it as you go. Does this sound familiar? This is the discipline that he's talking about. And the same thing, look at the last line. He's saying, you've got to get strong. You've got to get a new grip. You've got to strengthen those weak knees. Put on knee braces if you have to. Do what you've got to do. Why? So that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Where's that focus? That you and God, as you get stronger and closer to each other, and you and your Christian friends and family get closer, where's that focus going to be on? Everybody else. The people who don't know him yet. The people have no chance to live these things out because they don't have the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus himself says, God blesses those who work for peace. Again, that means unity, completeness, real, whole, real holiness and cleanliness and also healing. God blesses those who work for peace for they will be called the children of God. Jesus also said, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. And then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Last week, I also gave you this one, but I'm giving it to you again. I hope this resonates as we wrap up today. Gabe Lyons calls Christians restorers. And he says, restorers envision the world as it was meant to be. They work toward that vision. They don't separate from the world or blend in. Rather, they thoughtfully engage. It's one of my favorite quotes ever, but I want to add to it. They, they don't just thoughtfully engage. They relentlessly engage. They lovingly engage. They humbly and courageously and intentionally engage. And they never stop because, brothers and sisters, this is essential. You cannot separate true biblical Christianity. You cannot separate the concept of reaching out, crossing barriers, tearing down walls, showing love to people that you don't know yet, people who hate you, and God forbid, people you might hate. 
You can't separate that from all the other stuff. It's all connected. It's all one big dream. It's essential. It's got to happen. You ever heard people say that thing, uh, God is good, everybody says, and all the time. You know what they should be able to say just as easy? Christians are loving. And all the time, wouldn't that be great if that was 100% true everywhere in the world? If it was, the kingdom of God would grow. That little rounded triangle in the middle would just get bigger and bigger. That's his dream. That's what he wants. Nothing else, nothing else will do. Whatever you need to do to be part of that even more than ever this morning, would you do that? We're going to stand. We're going to sing. Uh, if you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time, if you need to recommit, if he's calling you to be a missionary this morning because you're just so fired up about reaching out, if you want to pray about something, I don't care what it is, would you please, please, please make that choice today? And if you need to make it public, come forward. We'll help you. We'll encourage you. We'll pray with you.